Welcome to Grog Talk. Welcome. Uh, episode 14. 14 of these things, Dan. So I'm James. I'm Dan. And uh, we had, last night, I, I think I already told you, I had a small game, only nine players. Yeah. Three people didn't show up for various reasons. And so, you know, once you've been DMing for 11 and 12, nine's like... Well, were the three that didn't show up, were they... The quieter folks, <laughs> so it really didn't make a difference anyway. Uh, well, no, actually, one one's a very um, active player. He 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 wants he's he's I call him a new school player. He's got a lot of creative ideas, and maybe maybe it's only because of the game style that we played, which was very I attack, I check the door. It's not a lot of well, I take out my you know milky substance and run it against the. Mm-hmm. Floor to see if it seeps in. We've played more of I search for doors. You're going to yeah. tell me what you're doing? No, I want to make my role. Yeah. So one of them was was not there, and, and again, that's good and bad. I think it's overall good because it keeps us interest. You know, keeps the game more than just a very mechanical thing, and it actually allows for creativity. And then one had to go to work, and one had some school assignments that didn't get done. Wow. So they were not able to participate. This is, sounds like some. This doesn't sound like a grognard who played in the eighties. No, that's right. When this, you know, this first generation. Uh, and in fact, when we were walking in, someone saw uh, one of our players' um, players' handbook, and he's like, "Oh, first edition. Yeah, yeah, we play second edition." So there are people there. out there that play. They want to play second edition. Which, which we're ready. We have second edition, which is basically first edition. It's first edition with non-weapon proficiencies and skills is really the only difference and that they have more classes and those type of things. So uh, it, was a good, it was a good session. We were in the main area, which again, for those um, in the uh, Orlando area, we play, I, I do post on Twitter our, our meetup. Um, you, they have a private room in Campus Cards and Games, which is in in Orlando. In, I think it's Winter Park, basically. Winter Park. Which is a suburb of Orlando. And uh, we play in the private room, which is awesome, because then you don't get the, the noise and the cacophony of sound, uh, especially on Friday night, because as most people know, most Friday nights is Friday Night Magic, and a lot of events happen. But our room was not available, so... Um, my voice is a little scratchy because I had to kind of project out there. Anyway, but uh, it was a good session, and we're running through the Giants. And, you know, if you like lots of fighting and lots of attacking and collecting lots of loot, Giants is for you. Okay. Totally uh, is. And they just finished the second one, and now they're going to prepare to go to the third one. So see what happens, how long. Which one's the Frost Giants? Is that the second one? So they're just finishing up. Just finished the Frost Giants. Unfortunately, the king, uh, the Jarl, he escaped. Like the little three little pigs, he's gone to the House of Stone. He, second pig was that stick wood or whatever. I'm not sure. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, you don't know the quality of the materials between the buildings of the three. I know the last one had stone. 
Now. Straw, stick, and stone. Oh, that, okay. I, I believe that's it. Okay, the first person who calls in. Yeah, someone please, we beg you, <laughs> call in. Someone please call in. Is there in. a telemarketer who will call in? And, yeah. Can we pay you? I think we already tried to bribe people. That didn't work, it right? Did. I don't know what that offers. It, is that a standing it, offer? Yes, or is it still up there? It's a standing offer. I don't even remember what the offer is. The offer is we give them something. 407-476-6779. Stuff. Yeah, we give them something from... You wanted, of course, because it's very convenient because it's not your stuff to right randomly randomly select something yes. off this thing. Exactly. I had mentioned it would be something a something that was worthwhile of my choosing. So right, one's yeah. definition of worthwhile, of well, course, well, again, can be different from well, others. Here's an example, right? We saw this yes last time. I'm holding up Dragon Seventy Eight. Is this a worse? Would you be satisfied for making a simple ten digit? putting ten digits into a phone and talking for us for five minutes to receive an original Dragon Seventy Eight? I would call in. Just to be nice to James and Dan, to look at those poor fellows and say they really want someone to call in. So right. even if I'm not going to get stuff, I'm going to call in just to be nice to those guys who get up this early in the morning, right? You know, and and, and talk about D and D. Well, I appreciate it, but if you weren't so altruistic, wouldn't that be a, a, a nice exchange of a few minutes of time, an original seventy-eight with? One of the highest rated um, adventures it would, and Sionics. It would, yeah, no, it would be. Though we should mention, though, I don't know if we were clear about this with the offer, is that we, you are required to pay shipping. Oh, yeah. Which so. is which is $19.99. Yeah, and handling. <laughs> oh, that's another $10. Right. $29.99 shipping and handling. And only if you're a member of the Grognard, uh, not the Grognard. That, club, right, the Grognard. Grog that's, 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 grog that's the price. The Grog Talk Club. The Grog Talk Club, yes. If you're part of the Grog Talk Club, which, which is $100 a yeah, year, annual. Well, it's, it's cheaper if you buy it, the annual membership. It's it's twelve ninety five a month. Yeah, so um, absolutely, you, we did go over this, <laughs> and and there is a uh, twelve page uh, membership acceptance uh, contract that you'll have to sign before we send you. So. We'll post that online. So we'll worry about all those details later. Just call in. And, right, call in. And there's a timeshare that's part of this, too, that you have to buy in for one week here in Orlando uh, that we want to get rid of. I mean, that we want you to, right. to take advantage of. Okay. Enough shenanigans. So today we're talking about we were we spent so much time, and I think it was a good session uh, last week about uh, tiers of play because, again, uh, most people only play Low level, just because they start a campaign, they get to a certain thing, and then it either peters out or they have to restart. And how, what the levels of play are, and, and how you can use one shots or start it. You don't have to start a campaign at level one. You could start it at, at any of the tiers, but here are the advantages. We were planning to talk about styles of play, um, which we did not go over. So in our Word of Recall segment, we're going to talk about styles of play and... You know, again, going back to our three or four elements of the game, which is combat, exploration, social interaction, and then we've talked about downtime, which is, again, it's a phase, it's more of the phase of the games. Um, depending on the type of campaign or setting or the way you set up uh, AD&D will determine what percentages of those. So, uh, you know, when you think of styles of play, Dan, what, what comes into your mind? Um, well, so I think of, you know, I think of different genres, right? So like, you know, and, and if, if I understand where you're heading with this correctly, you know, like you could have a Lord of the Rings style, uh, which is more of, uh, 
uh, the big campaign and you've got the big overall objective or you've got a style of play which is more uh, like I would think of like a Fafford and Greymaster where you've got, you know, uh, individual, almost each game is almost sort of a one-off in and of itself and it's, it's not connected. Um, what kind of styles of play? Well, that's that's good. I mean, uh, so starting with, so that you have an epic campaign, yeah. right? That's a style of play. You have a series of one-offs that are basically they're not really related. It's it's almost like a, a, a sitcom or a serial a series mm -hmm. where you can watch, you, you, we were talking about Seinfeld, you could watch any Seinfeld and not really know the previous Seinfeld. Right, unlike Dynasty. Right, or Game of Thrones. You can't just jump into Game... I haven't watched Game of Thrones. Everyone's like, oh, you should watch it. I'm like, I don't... I haven't watched it either. I've not, I, I haven't watched any of those. Once the binge, the idea of binging, yeah. um, I haven't been... I like Amelia Clark, though. Isn't she the one that rides the dragons? She's a... Apparently. Yeah, I, I, I've seen her on talk shows. I've seen pictures of the show, but I have... And you would think, okay, Game of Thrones, why am I not watching it? Uh... I don't know, just because the, the thought of I have to watch now seven seasons to understand what's going on is a little beyond me. Um, but you said, uh, you know, like Fafford's a one-off and uh, possibly Conan. Conan, right. Some more of the pulp thing. So that's, that's definitely a style, uh, a style of play. Uh, but usually, and, and there's other attributes of, of Lord of the Rings. There's magic in there, but it's not like um, everyone has magic. There's only, in fact, right. only a few creatures. They're fantastical creatures. But the idea of magic being this like electricity that's used by everything and all kinds of things um, versus later uh, editions or even later versions of Forgotten Realms, magic was basically baked in like electricity. So, you know, people being raised all the time, you know, if, if it's the same thing. Like if we if we looked at magic like we look at electricity or automobiles, wouldn't that change the society? And, you know, it's. Whereas Lord of the Rings had a very medieval feel, and then they added some magic and, and myths. Well, really shouldn't, you know, for why are people walking around if, if magic's available? Why aren't they flying and all these other things? And why isn't it not propagated to more and more people? You know, a, a kind of like more like electricity in the 20th century than electricity in the 19th century, which, which was the purview of, of the rich. That's, that's a component of what we're talking about. Well, and do you think that there is sort of a baseline that is expected from gamers who have played first edition? And is that baseline, was it set perhaps by the module? So, you know, mm. you, you run a campaign now, which I think, I think you told me that elves are unusual, right? A lot of the demi-human classes, they're either, they don't exist or, right. they're, or they're rare. Yes. And, and I assume that, that that would be considered unusual, right? That that's your deviating from what would be considered sort of the default right. way to approach it. Uh, because I think most players are going to expect there's nothing unusual with a half-work in a party. There's nothing unusual that if you go into a bar and there's an elf sitting at the bar or a dwarf sitting, right? I mean, I, I right. think most players expect it's just sort of a mishmash of all the different races, and it's it's not... I think where you get on your... So it is sort of... Do we have sort of three different... Uh, approaches the one in the center which is what most people think of is probably okay the default the default fantasy, which i just mentioned I think they call it you know it's been called fantasy land it's like your idea it's like lord of the rings meets ex you know chivalry you know the chivalrous time versus um 
you know, our history, medieval history, it's this, you know, quaint middle villages, and there's, you know, Gandalf or Merlin is running yeah. around, and, and there's these ancient tombs that you can go to. Yes, that's and, kind of default fantasy land. Yep. And, cer and certainly I would think that in the default fantasy land approach to D&D, how it differs from Lord of the Rings is, I assume in Lord of the Rings, if you're in a village, you're not expecting an elf to come walking through, right? Because For I mean, the most part. For the most part. Unless something's up. Unless you're Legolas, who's walking through all the human villages. But, and they weren't shocked by it, but they were... Uh, it, was strange, it was strange times. Right. It was strange times. And that's, and that's the point. But generally, they did not mix together. It was, you know, in the true sense, racial segregation as far as uh, only the, the oi polloi, the, the, the commoners, did not mix with different groups. And, and groups were to be... Uh, you know, they were suspicious, you know, because of the xenophobia, basically, as part of that, which makes perfect sense. You, you, especially when death could be coming around any moment, you don't want to mess around with people. Right. And then I guess on the other side of that, then you have a campaign like you're running where, you know, elves, dwarves, they're, they're quite, they're rare. Except know, in the party. That's right. Except in the party. <laughs> and then on the other side of that, you would have... Um, I assume a city, like something like the city-state of the Invincible Overlord right. I'm talking about, where you actually have trolls running bars, yeah. right? Is, 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 is much further from what is the general, de the general default rule. And I think that's what made the city-state so unusual, is that it had, you know, with, you know, it had goblins working within the city. Yeah. And so I, I guess I sort of view it as those three different styles. Yeah. And then, of course, you can... Throw on top of that, do you have a story, big campaign, a story arc, or do you have a series of one-offs? So I guess, you know, if we're thinking like alignments where you have two different sets of things that can interact, I would think you have the one-off versus the story arc, and then you have, okay, okay. how much, yeah. how much, uh, you know... Fantasy there is. Exactly, right. How, how close is it to Middle Ages, you know, actual Middle Ages, you know, with just some orcs and doors thrown and sprinkled in right. versus it's the city state of the Invincible Overlord where it's, you know, anything goes. That's right. Uh, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, like in the campaign that I'm currently running, um, which again, I inherited and I was just trying to take what we have and move it forward. I basically, the premise was what would, ha what, what would the world be like, you know, roughly if, if Lord of the Rings worked out the other way, which mm -hmm. is, Bad guys kind of won. Yeah, you know, they did. There was no invincible overlord. There was no Sauron. But yet, um, during the great cataclysm, all you know, humanity was pretty much the only ones left, and and their descendants, and, and only half elves and half orcs kind of were left. No, uh, if there were half dwarves, and again, if you wanted to add half dwarves, they would have been there. But there wouldn't be any pure elves. There wouldn't be a lot of the other races had had been taken out. Um, but yeah, the the idea of um, you know, one off, uh, because again, depending on what you select and how much you do, that affects the, the the three or four pillars that we talked about. So if you have a one off camp series of sessions, they're not really related, and there's not a lot of interaction with the the environment because you're just going from almost like we've talked about West March's campaign. You're going from one quest to another quest, and you're not, and the quest giver is not someone specific. It could be you're at the tavern, you're just sitting around, then you hear a rumor of a temple and you go there. Um, then your social interaction is probably going to be less because there's less encounters. It's really about the missions that you're doing um, versus a high arc campaign where there's these characters, these non-player characters who are following the arc. 
and they have their own motivations, that changes it. Again, high fantasy, low fantasy, if you go with the true low fantasy, you know, Lord of the Rings, for all it is, um, you know, there isn't a whole lot of magic that the party gets. Basically, only Bilbo and Frodo have magic, or uh, Gandalf has magic. The rest of them are just normal people for the most part. They may have had magical items, but they were never described. I'm sure there's examples of things that were uh, given, but... You know, the mithril shirt, there were swords, but it, but each sword was named. It was very unique. They weren't these kind of generic, like we were talking about last time, generic plus one swords. They may have not been super powerful, but they were legendary in that they had a history. They were part of the world. And if you have low fantasy, and so low fantasy is, you know, you take the generic middle or generic medieval times, you add sprinkle a little bit of magic. Maybe there's a legendary weapon like Excalibur um, is that... The challenge there is, uh, you know, do you do you have the the presupposition of uh, active deities that are are affecting people? Do you go like to a Dragonlance? I think Dragonlance when it first starts, there's no clerics because the ancient the gods have been lost or forsaken, so you can't heal people or you can't heal people easily. Well, that changes how much combat. You know, if you can't heal. Fighting is a decision you don't want to make lightly because you could get wrecked and then not have the ability to come back. So um, I think you're right on each of those areas. And so, you know, when you're building your campaign, um, I, I would almost start backwards. How much combat do you want? How much exploration do you want? How much uh, social interaction? How much downtime? You know, are you going to keep them even or are you going to adjust them? And then you can work your way back to that. Does that make sense what I'm saying or what other thoughts do you have on that? Yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense and, and we've talked about this before which is that the DM needs to make sure that the vision he or she has for the game aligns with what most of the players want too yeah. and, and it can be hard because you've got multiple players. So a group, a, a party of players doesn't have a single idea usually of what the game should be like. The different people are going to want different things. So um, it would be interesting to hear from people about how they dealt with that, how things went. You mean on the grog line? Exactly on the grog line. You know, did um, holding the phone up anytime? Did uh, you know? Did did they? Did any of these people run into problems? Whether they were on the DM side or the player side, where the game started breaking down because the DM and the players were on different wavelengths and had different ideas of the way the game should be. So, I mean, I will say that I think, you know, running a campaign with a big story arc is, is harder. You know, you, you need people to show up every time. If people yeah. don't show up, that makes it, yeah. you know, I mean, I've had times where, and I'm sure you have too, is where, you know, I'm going to run the next game. I'm trying to have some continuity, a little bit of a story arc, even if they're one-offs, you know, because obviously it's all a continuum. You're going to put our essentially one-offs, but with a little bit of continuity and bringing over some NPCs and setting up the next game for right. one particular player character. And then if they're not there, like, okay, well, that 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 thread of continuity is, is a bit lost. So um, that, that's my thoughts on that, is that you need, to, you need to have the DM and the players basically be on, on the same wavelength. And if you, if you know your players, that's one thing. But, you know, like we have not a complete pickup game, but... Technically, you know, we because we host public games, mm -hmm. even though the same players primarily keep coming, um, 
that's hard to gauge because you don't know who's going to technically yeah. show up week to week. I think it's eventually, if you have followed our, our discussions on how to start a group, you've started a group, you've done, you don't have, have friends, but they may not be interested or you don't have enough friends who are interested and now you're bringing people in. Um, if you're, and Dan and I have always been focused on trying to expand the population. So we didn't have a situation of, okay, us six are going to keep playing and if anyone, no one else can show up unless someone leaves. We have it. This is the game we're running. People can show up. Great. And um, this is what we're doing. So we've had to make some assumptions. On we have that. open borders. Yes, we are open. We are, we are, we are open and, and unfortunately, and as you can tell, I have 12 players, so maybe I need to build a wall <laughs> in, at some point. Sure. Whereas yours, for a while, you know, they, they stopped coming. And, but then they, they, were key, they were key people. I mean, you had four or five steady players. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and again, that's the challenge of when people bounce up and down as far as the head count. It, it can disrupt a truly epic, epic idea of art, long arch because... Again, you, someone comes in, you have to roll up their character, uh, they stay for three sessions or 20 minutes, and then they leave, and then you go, okay, what do I do with this person? Um, but I think the default, like uh, Dan said, if you're in fantasy land, the kind of milieu that is described in the Dungeon Master's Guide, this medieval setting with some magic, you look at the pre-purchase the purchase modules you can get, I think the breakdown is 60% combat, 30% exploration and 10% social interaction, plus or minus, depending on the type of thing. Um, keep on the borderlands by default, unless you have a very, you know, um, chatty group. You go to the keep, you get your stuff, you find out that there's, you sit for a few minutes in the bar, you find out there's a caves of chaos, you head out and you start killing people. Yeah, I never understood. So keep on the borderlands. I never understood. You're gonna trash keep on the borderlands now. I, no, I don't know what to make of keep on the borderlands. So, you know, are you so? Were you supposed to do as the DM? Were you supposed to do more with it? Was was it really designed to be go to cave A, kill everyone, come back, rest up, maybe level up, go to cave B, kill every, you know, rinse and repeat? Uh, or was the DM supposed to? you know, be more creative with it. I, I always wondered about that. I mean, I, I don't know. So, but, you know, I think one of the problems with, if you're the DM and you want to do something different, there it is. Yeah, keep on the borderland, so go ahead. All right, which is, technically, we should mention is for basic D&D. Right. Uh, but it's easily. Everyone played AD&D with this basic. Yeah. Everyone played, everyone had the AD&D books. Actually, everyone I knew had, a, one person had the box set, the red Moldave book, and everyone had the AD&D books um, because uh, we wanted to play advanced. Who would want to play basic? That's, yeah. I, I, would you want to play, you know, there's a big demon-looking thing on, on the DMG. That's what I want to play. And there's a demon on the player's handbook. Yeah. That's more fun than, than this basic thing. And there's more, just, yeah, there's just, and there's more. More is better. More stuff, right? right? More magic items. What? More classes. It's just all better. And now that we're old, more. I, I, you know, we both are like, boy, we should just play basic because it's so much easier. There's, so, there's less rules. I don't have time for all those rules. You because know, when you're young, you're like, look at all these rules. I can learn all these rules. You don't think about I'll be dead soon. Right. 
But now I'm like, I don't have time to. I've got at least a little bit of time left. Right. I, you know, I don't want to spend it like trying to figure out all these rules. I think that's one of the jokes I heard. Your your speed limit should be equal to your age. Your speed limit should be limited. When you drive around, yeah, yeah. older people should drive faster. Yeah, because that's because they, they need have, to get places. They have less time. That's right. <laughs> they need to go get places. So that's exactly right. Thing. You know, everything that when you're young, you look at older people, you're like, why do they do that? Have you noticed? And like now you start to know why they do that. I know right. exactly why they do those right. things. You know why you, you know why I want you to get off my lawn? Because I have nothing going on in my life except making taking care of that lawn. Right. And I've worked really hard to make it look nice. I don't need some kids running around destroying my lawn. Get off my lawn. It makes sense to me now. Right. Right? Yeah. Why should it's the my kids own, should get off the it's lawn? It's my own edifice to my what my existence here on this planet and and you're damaging it. And it's mine. That's right. I Personally. should if I want to if this is what I want to spend my time doing, I should be able to do it. Yeah. Right? I agree. I'm going to be dead in 5 years. Give me my wow. lawn. Wow. This is getting dark here. <laughs> In the darkness. Yeah, that's just, this is depressing. But okay, thank you. Uh, oh, yeah, thanks no, for that rant. Um, no. But you said, what is this for? I think, you know, this is interesting. What this module has is pages on how to teach someone how to be a dungeon master. I did read this. That, this was useful. From Guy Gax himself, of course. Right. And, and but yet, um, there's... So probably the most value for for D and DM is the first you know five or six pages. He has notes for the dungeon master. He has how to be an effective dungeon master and preparation for the use of this module. Um, but with that said, there's still a lot. Um, the problem with this, even as a starting, uh, and there's Briark. That's where Briark. Comes Which, from. by the way, does not mean it means we surrender. What? Just read that. I really thought Briark was. Of course, it's a false rumor. So. Ah, oh, you're bad. That's right, because Briark, of course, is a danger, right? That's right. It's an alarm. I believe it is, yeah. That's very funny, though, because, see, that. put that as a rumor. That's great, though, because then when they hear Briark, that's right, they'll think you just, they're surrendering. Yeah, I just, first time I read that. I don't think I ever used the rumors. I just went, eh, whatever. But um, the, the hard part about it, okay, so if you're beginning DM and you're trying to figure out all these other things, you put them in a town. And town adventures are some of the hardest to stew because the players, they don't tend to sit in a group. They, I want to go to the blacksmith. I want to go here. I right. want to talk to the, this. And, and the DM immediately, uh, the assumption is they would go to the tavern or the, you know, they, they'd stay as a group, like in a video game, even though they probably didn't have too many video games in 1979 that were RPG with a party. Um, probably the better, not the better, the, probably the better way would have been they're in a caravan or something. They get to the caves of chaos. You know, they're in a caravan. They have everything they need. They talk to the one you know, quartermaster. They get what they need. They start. They have a couple encounters just to learn the game, and then they go into the town. But um, the purpose of this is, you know, is is it to go from A to B? To C? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's to learn the game by going through each each of the steps, and um, you know, so. Uh, and you can tell we played a D and D here because strength. Uh, we we figured out that we statted the Castilian, and he has eighteen eighty one strength, which of oh. course would not happen in in basic. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but that's you know so the idea of this um, you know the generic fantasy land is except once you're out of the town, there really isn't a whole lot of talking. You could try to talk and parlay with the uh, humanoid monsters. But for the most part, 
They're there to be killed. For the the, the monsters. You, you well, attack the kobolds, they're you're gonna they're gonna attack you, you're gonna attack them. But what I like is in, in the village of Palm, and I won't give away too much because I know you guys are going through it right now, but you know, there's stats for the houses, how much gold is you know, is under the bed or whatever of whoever's house, which really is suggesting that party members should break into right. <laughs> and steal yeah. gold from, you know, the baker's house or whatever. Uh, right, that's the classic thing that in the village of Hamlet and this, that every, every place in the keep has all the stuff that's stashed in the houses. Right. So that the idea of the thief would want to do that, which again, nowadays is great, um, but everyone rolls their eyes when someone does that. Why? Because they could get caught, then you have to get the thief out of jail, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so if you start with generic fantasy land using Keeper of the Borderlands, you're talking, I think it's fair to say, 60% combat, 30% overall, the whole entire time that you, you know, the four or five sessions. It's mostly combat. You're doing some exploration. The exploration is not a very um, you know, extensive. It's, it's literally just mapping through the area. And only a couple of areas, you know, in the, some of the caves that are, tricky to get through where you're using some additional skills. Most of it's just a mapping. There's a door. You're looking for secret doors. There's not a whole lot of spelunking. It's not like you're in these exotic locations. And then 10% interac interaction, which is usually at the beginning of the adventure, you may try to, you know, again, if you have players who are going to capture people and interrogate them, well, then maybe you have some more. But typically, they're going to murder them all. And do you know, that. there's too many caves. This is an introductory module. This thing takes forever to play. It's introductory. It comes with the basic set, right? It came yes. with the basic set. It should have been two caves. You got your alarm again. Why does it... I don't know. Why does it make noise? Uh, next time off. on GrogCog, we're going to work on Dan's phone. You saw me. You did something on your phone. I'm right. not sure what it was. but it, you did I thought something. it was the Grog line. So it was. <laughs> we, we screwed up again. I should have called. I should have been like, "Yes, we said that last time." I didn't. I forgot. It should have. It should have been two caves, but a different issue. So, but if, if you're going to run a campaign, and when you were t when you were whatever age, 13, 10, 11, you would have been happy with two caves. I can't. You know, I can't remember. I don't even think I went through a keep on the borderlands or well, whatever I, module. I if you would have spent whatever ten dollars on the box, no, I guess I would have been unhappy with it. I guess because this is, you know, it's kind of like I don't know if you had video games, but when you got the, I'm not that old. Well, no, I know you had video. Oh. Did, you, did your family purchase like the Atari yeah, or the Atari? You know, it came with that one crappy game. And, you know, it was Christmas time or whatever, and you they go or your birthday. Here's your Atari, and it came with one game. Yeah, and you played it for hours, and then but it wasn't that good. And then you, they're like, "Why aren't you playing?" Because I played my well. One that's game. true. You do have multiple caves. You can break it up. Right. You can break it up. You have a mm -hmm. lot of content. They kind of showed the concept of of layers. So I mean, I get it now. It's just the thought of going through the whole. Um, is, is a little overwhelming. Just it's like a, it's a it's an enormous battle, right? I mean, really, they should be bringing a large force, right? They should lay siege to it. They really should. Yeah, exactly. That's that's right. Well, some people talk about that. You know, they have that style of, again. Another style of play, that very gritty. We're we're not going to be heroic fantasy warriors that are traversing. We're going to be more like siege warfare. 
we're going to buy barrels of oil and roll it down in the in the uh, yeah and have war dogs and we're gonna, yeah we're going to set the thing on fire and then after the fires burn out just send the dogs in and and then clean up whatever's left after that and you know the poor beginning dm that has the only reason that doesn't happen is cuz they don't have enough money to kind of yeah i want to buy you know i want 40 men at arms with spears and bows barrels of oil and we're just going to roll these uh, barrels of oil in there and smoke them out and as they come out you slaughter them like uh, you know one of those bad movies yeah you know maybe it could be like a return to camp on the borderlands where the party members are all like 12th level right that would take like an evening that would right. be fast and they just go in there which is a little different what you're talking about but you know you just go in there at 12th level and just clean the place out right yeah. Uh, that well, you know, that's an interesting campaign. Yeah. Well, and in some ways, that do players want that, and that goes back to what do players want? You know, based on some of the feedback you get from them, because they're constantly looking for um, the advantage, the edge. Right. It's it's there's a fine line between making sure the game runs as the rules as we understand it, and trying to work the refs. Right. Right. It's always working the ref, and and I and I have to try not to get too bent out of shape when the players say, well, can I do this? And what about this? And this, you know, wait a minute, that's not how the rule works. Why are you trying to do that? Well, they're always trying to get advantage, which is fine. But when they're trying to get to, you know, be ultra powerful, they have no vulnerabilities. There's no role playing because they're literally, you know, demigods. So it would be, you know, that would be the equivalent of, they don't want no chance of defeat. They want to just roll through things. So it'd be like the 12th level guys running through here. And defeat for them is if they got hit. Right. Oh my God, we got hit. That's how that happened. I have negative seven armor class and, you know, I, I should be wading through these people. And uh, so, you know, as DMs, we have to be on guard to not let that work in the refs or, uh, you know, jade us. I mean, that's, that's, they're, they're trying to do that. And hopefully, you're working with your players to move them away from this kind of power gaming. Power gaming is good. That's okay. You want players invested who want to make their character better. But their character is not this single dimension kind of thing. So anyway, I think we kind of segued on that. But the, I think the generic is 6310. And if you don't want that, you want, I know Dan is definitely, if, if you were going to run a campaign, you would want, you would want to skew away from that that proportion that ratio you would want maybe 30 30 30 or 30 20 40 even more social interaction and less combat you know combat would not be the answer to everything well i like um yeah i like the more intrigue solving problems i'm not i'm, I'm not i mean when you're on the side so well, let me ask you this because so when you're on the dm side of things you know is how do you feel about running combat because you know you know, the players, I can understand why they enjoy it, but on the DM side, what do you get out of running combat on, on the DM side of the screen? Um, well, for me, I think if it's just, uh, I like it from a tactical perspective. You know, part of it, especially because we don't have a group that's, well, now we have a group that's consistent and they're starting to learn the game. Um, it's increasing the difficulty level and finding that, um, using the techniques we talked about here. So in yesterday's game, you know, they were getting to the throne room area and um, they had just freed the storm giantess and they felt like, well, they were kind of injured, but they needed to press on. So they 
made an attack and things were going well for a while and then I'm like, okay, they're doing pretty good. Now I'm going to throw in some, there were some ogre magi and for those who don't know ogre magi, they're super ogres, Japanese-based ogres, they have magic and they charmed a couple of the players. And so, you know, if you don't have players who can handle adversity because they're still learning the game even though they're playing higher level characters, you can't do that. Um, and I think it's, it would be frustrating if you kept playing the same way. The game for me becomes how challenging can I make it for the players where they feel like they've overcome something and it's not just where a computer could run the program, which is literally, you know, the, all the monsters kind of, you know, they're at a choke point and all the monsters just pile up there and they, they take their turn to be slaughtered by the, the players. That's very boring. Yeah, that's in, and, and so I've I've decided to maybe start playing some war games again, and so I'm, I'm learning this war game. And so, you did? I didn't know that. Yeah, well, You're you know, like the, the tabletop. Well, yeah, well, you know, the tabletop war game. So I, um, as opposed to, I guess what what would be the opposite of of tabletop war? Oh, paintball, rug, rug top, or <laughs> paintball, paintball. Or, it's like or or tactical nuclear. <laughs> was it war games kind of thing? Holding up a liquor store. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, so, joining, joining a extremist group or something. Exactly like right, right. Rounding up people at the border, <laughs> go join that group in Texas. Right. Oh yeah, that's right. So there's a lot of opportunities. Role playing a militiaman. That's good. Okay, that's great. So, uh, so what I you know it was interesting because it's easy then to start comparing role playing and wargaming, and it reminds me of back in the day of what I liked about wargaming compared to role-playing and what I liked about role-playing compared to wargaming because it was it was different yeah and it, and it wasn't like one was better there was just different so when you mean wargaming can you give an example sure so like you know like the old Avalon Hill war yeah. games or Panzer FPI war exactly like Panzer Leader and that right which I was I, I was used to ah and Starship Troopers we had those were the first right. games we started with those sure. I'm sure there were plenty of others but those are the ones we had the gateway games yeah and the, the little chicks, chickles, what are they called? Chicklets? Uh, uh, counters. Or ch we call them chits. Now. Yeah, we chits call them counters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you had, and of course you lost your uh, Bradley whatever. And you of course, like you lose the counter. And then you had to make one out of a piece of paper and it was look, it so hokey. And it bothered me. Right, it did. It bothered me a lot. So what's, what, I've, what I've noticed in now playing war games again and, and playing D&D at the same time is what I do like what I like about the war games is that your rules are about 20 pages and I was you know my wife was stunned to learn that I think I mentioned this before that in war games the rules are 20 pages it seems so long because you've got monopoly right. which you know a lot of these games you know you literally the rules are on what like back, the, bo the box inside or, the box inside the box there's like eight rules or something and so the idea of a, a rule book of 20 rules is, is outrageous to her and then you've got D, but, but the reality is compared when once you play D and D, twenty pages of rules is oh like that. That's not that bad. You mean right. I can actually learn these? I can read these rules in a couple hours. Right. That's awesome. I mean the the DMG to read that entire DMG. Right. You know from it would take a long time and comprehend it and and comprehend it. Uh, and um, so what I like about war games is that there you can learn the rules. At a certain point, you're not going to have a lot of debate. You're not gonna have a lot of fight about what the rules are in a war game. Once you learn, you know them. I like that. But what I like about role-playing games that you don't get from war games, so when I, the combat you were describing just now for role-playing games sounded to be very much war game-ish, where you said a computer could do it, right? You could, okay, so my, it sounds like a war game, okay. 
you know, Hood is attacking sickles or whatever. What are the odds? Let's roll. You take this damage, whatever. Not very visual. What I love about role-playing games is how it, it is so free-flowing. And I like the idea of the DM running combat where a lot of stuff is being described. You know, and a lot of this goes back to what I think Matt Finch, he wrote in the, the Primer for Old School Gaming. He talks about this. You know, you should you know, add a lot of flavor to it as a DM. You know, the orc jumps up on the table. Somebody slides underneath you, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of visual to it. And, you know, and this idea that, you know, even though you don't have fumbles, if somebody rolls a one or a two, the DM should be at liberty to say, okay, you slip and crack open this table, whatever, you know, just to add to it. But, of course, at the same time, so that's what I get out of being on that side. And I like that, doing and that And I think stuff. if you had less, if I had less players, because I was conscious when I'm running so many people, it's I was forgetting to do some of that because, you know, I'm trying. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I, th I think that's the only downside to having a large player, a large party count, because then you can't give each player something special. It's it's more I hit, I hit, and you, know, and and you're just it becomes very um, mechanical. War gameish. <laughs> well, yeah, it becomes very mechanical, and you're just kind of adjudicating it. It's almost, and that's why some people have suggested let the uh, for a lot of these combats, let the players move the monsters. They know what they're going to do. Let them move the plan and let them keep track of the hit points. And, and the, you know, at the end of the round, you can go, oh, yeah, he's, he's not here anymore. Why do all that accounting? Let them do it because right. it's, it's kind of a rote thing. Um, and you only deal with the hero enemy monster so that you can free up the bandwidth. And I think that's where, you know, trying to, I didn't mean to short circuit your thought, but I agree with you. And it becomes very wargaming when the CPU bandwidth of the DM is taken up with these menial tasks, either either giving time slices to all the players, or going through and calculating. And this is where I think some of the that's why I think a lot of newer games or different games went away from being super crunchy, so that the DM's uh, processing lowered, so they could be more expository, that they could have some of these other things. It's that weird tension between we want a rule for everything. And we want it to be colorful. And again, that's a style of play too. How colorful you want it versus how, how crunchy. In AD&D, you could, you know, because the prime directive of the DM's jide is, you can, these are all suggestions. You can get rid of most or all of them. And what are the rules that we've typically changed where it's too crunchy and the value of that realism is not worth the crunchiness to slow down the game because then you can't remember to put all these things in it. So I, I didn't mean to segue, but that was a great point that you're bringing up that um, it could be a lot more dramatic if you put the time into it. And I, I think that, and I agree with you completely, when you've got 9, 10, 11, 12 players, that becomes extremely difficult to do. And you also have to have players that are okay with it. So, you know, my view is give the players a break. The players say they want to do something creative, sort of, or on the side of, I'm going to let that happen, uh, and I'm going to give them a shot at it. But in the same vein, the players have to be okay with the other side doing it too. Right. So in other words, it, get, it would get old if you tried to create that, okay, so-and-so jumps up on the table. Wait, wait a second. Where was he? How can he jump up on the you know? Yeah. If, and, if, and that's usually the problem. There's always one or two of the players. And usually the ones most invested in your game who are going to pull the rule out and go, wait a minute, you know, how, how are they able to do that? And then you have to say, and then it becomes confrontational, unfortunately. Right. And then, so at a certain point, it does just become, so then, 
you know, if the DM believes that the DM has a lot of discretion and you've got players who are trying to curb that discretion, and I get it because they don't want their character to die. You know, no one is like, oh, thank you know, yeah, my character's dead, but that was an awesome. I mean, sometimes by people that do this, you know, rarely do you Well, those say, are the players we want. I mean, that's the, that's the game, you know, and again, I think that's the game that people say they want, but they, a lot of people don't want. They want that, I want my guy to stand in the, in the breach and die, you know, like the 300 and have that epic thing. They say that, but when it's their turn to do it, no one wants that. Well, think about it. How many times have you, you know, if you're a sports fan, you see your team lose. I can only think of one time where my team has lost, and when they lost, they said, that was an incredible game. Right. Even if it was an incredible game, if my team lost, that game was terrible. Right. I hated that game. I'm not right. happy. I'm angry. The other side's happy that it was an amazing yeah. game. The Atlanta Falcons were not happy when the... the Patriots right, won. right. The Atlanta Falcons the end of the game. Not like that was an amazing. I'm just, we I were winning like, by twenty eight points <laughs> in the, at the start of the third quarter, and then we lost the game. It was a it was a privilege. That's right to, to watch, be part of that. You know, they apparently um, Pete Rose said in the nineteen seventy five World Series in games, the famous game six, where Fisk ends up hitting the home run. At some point, um, I guess we want probably already in extra innings. Rose, who's up to bat, apparently turns to Carlton Fisk, who's catching, and says, "Isn't this an amazing game?" You know, so. Some people are like, no, the Reds haven't lost yet. I don't know if Rose felt differently right. after they lost Game 6. I'm sure Game 7 made him feel better. But um, So, yeah, if you're going to have, and I, and I get that pushback, because you know the fact that the DM gave an awesome description of the combat is a little solace when your character that you've invested so much time and effort is dead. And so I get it that the players want to use the rules to help them survive. Uh, but in the same vein, is it, it does take. I mean, you're going to discourage the DM, I think, from trying to have some real creative things. If you keep saying, "Well, how did he get there? How did he do that?" You know, that gets that gets a bit. Tired. Well, and I think you have to set the tone early on that um, it's again, it's that fine line. The rules shouldn't change. You know, if if you the the idea of hitting and making it flavorful is is different than. Um, and as long, you know, if, if, if you're a fifth-level fighter, you get one attack per round. You know, if all of a sudden a fifth-level fighter sure. gets four attacks per round, um, it goes back to a trust and setting expectations. Because the idea is, well, you know, they, they're going to balk and go, how did this human get four attacks? Well, first of all, there could be lots of reasons, and this unknown to you. But the fact that you're challenging me on it means that you don't trust that I'm changing the things. And you're totally okay with me. Uh, changing it if I was to fudge and, and, you know, instead of that hit being for 12 points of damage, it was only for six points because I know you have seven hit points. That's why I stopped keeping track of hit points. Because now I don't know to fudge because I have no idea how many hit points they have. I just, I roll in front of them and go, oh, you take 15 hit points. When I knew how many hit points they have, it was very hard for me, you know, oh, he, he has six hit points left. This thing does two to 12. Oh, he only took five points. Uh, now I don't know. I think, you know, and, and, and if you have players you're challenging, it's the, the uncomfortable conversation is, this is my game. I'm not going to change, oh, I'm going to promise you this, I'm not going to change what is written in the module, at least as what their abilities. I may change the tactics, but I'm not going to change the abilities of the monster. So you may, you know, it's the same thing with a dragon. They, they fought a dragon, and they all thought they were invisible that they couldn't see. 
Well, unfortunately, they forgot their, their knowledge wasn't complete because dragons can see invisible characters. Mm. Now, they started protesting a little bit, and at that point, I just because the book said it was invisible, they were okay. That's not how it should be. It should be, I'm telling you, this dragon can see. You don't have to figure that out, and that's not my problem that your characters didn't right. know that. I think that's... That's the hard part with first edition D&D or any game that has a lot of legacy because you have players who, you know, you have the new players, they totally accept it. They don't sit here and go, oh, how do you get four attacks? Because they go, oh, you got four attacks. It's your old players who, again, who are usually the ones most vested. They're the ones who go, well, the ghoul only has three attacks and he, you know, he, it's their two hit dice and they one to three, one to three, one to six and saber's paralyzation, except if you're enough. You know, they can just literally list the stat block for you. Well, my ghoul... Is not this is the king of the ghouls and he gets four attacks. Whoa. So I think, um, and it's frustrating because you, you constantly have to do that. I, 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 however, um, the, 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 the beauty of first edition is the combat rules are so kind of all over the place, you can vary in one session and not realize you're doing it. There's times, you know, I've, I've had rules where I let them attack twice if they charge, other times I've let them charge once. You know, I kind of give it the feel. Does it make sense? Do I feel it? And, you know, we have a little discussion and move on. And 95% of the time, it's fine. I, I think that's the way it should be. I, I really do. I, I think that it shouldn't be so bogged down in all of the rules. Because I think it just it slows things down and it takes away from the flavor of, of the whole uh, campaign and of the combat. You know, the problem is, and this, of course, is what, you know... Nothing's perfect, and with good, with the good comes the bad. And I think the you know the amazing thing for me about D and D, which was so startlingly startlingly different from wargaming, is this idea that okay, you are this character. You're not an army where you've got a billion counters, and if Hess the vision is wiped out, you're like oh well, whatever. I got other you know I'm not out of the game. I got this whole army here. You are you know this you know character, and that's it. If that character dies, you're done. Right. You know, it's like, okay, well, what do I do now? And so what... Oh, you pick up dice and start rerolling your character. And start rerolling your character. So, it, you know, what made it great was this idea that this is you. It's just one of you. You need to protect that character. Right. You don't have... It's not paranoia, right? Where right. don't you get multiple lives. Coming up. Right? Coming With up. paranoia. Uh, you just have one of you. And so uh, that made it so different. And the fact that it was so free flowing, and and you, you know you didn't have necessarily. I mean, we didn't even use we didn't use battle maps. I mean, it was all just theater of the mind. Made it so different. Uh, but in the same vein, you know that means you don't want your character to die because you only have one of them, and so you're understandably going to try to use rules to help you. Yeah, uh, you know, and so we kind of segued into all that because, as we said. If you, it's that dichotomy of people want combat, but they don't want to die from it. Well, as it, you know, what's the juice for the DM? The DM is not to kill the players. I mean, that's easy. It's finding the, the pleasure comes from setting up scenarios and seeing how the players are going to react to those scenarios uh, and not be enamored if the scenario doesn't work out that way. You know, I had set up what I thought was a reasonable reaction to the incursions. They had this uh, big fight. Um, there was a slightly dramatic moment with the king because the storm giantess who captured her was trying to get after him. 
Well, after a couple of rounds, he's not, I'm not going to stick around. It's clear the party's going to win. And so he took off. And, you know, then they decide, oh, they, you know, they, and, and typically in my style of play, I, I don't, I have a very active dungeon. So like Keep of the Borderlands, if you have dumb players who kind of just, you know, poke the hornet's nest, all the hornets are going to come out. They're not going to sit there and just wait to be slaughtered in each room. And so what typically happens is, you know, there's a big battle somewhere, and, but then the, the rest of the cave is empty because you've killed basically everyone in that. And, you know, they figured that out, and they're like, oh, well, now we can just pile up the bodies and, you know, kind of do like this mass accounting of all the stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I had extra frost giants up on the first level, and, of course... As they're cleaning up, I brought them in. So again, that was, you know, make it provide these changes so that um, you always want to have some kind of pressure on that. You want drama. That's the whole idea. And so um, you can accomplish it with the, you know, kind of generic fantasy slam, but you can provide drama uh, by making. So for instance, we talked about low magic. Low magic equals, you know, you're using more of your wits. Your, your, your combat needs to be avoided if possible because you don't have any healing, right? So that's a, you know, and there's a lot of games who have that or healing is very limited. Even in first edition, you get knocked out, you're out for a week until that book, which shall not be named, has a third level spell, uh, which oh, again... Oh, is that Death Door? Yeah. Death Door, yeah. yeah I've heard of it. I don't even know. Well, but no. So, of course, they wanted it. They're like, because they constantly want stuff. Out. I said, fine. Because I had made an adjustment to... Because, again, it's it. I get the point. You're in a coma. You've had this traumatic experience. You should be out for a week. But from a playing perspective, it's the same thing as if a character dies. I got nine people. One guy gets knocked out. Or one lady gets knocked out. It's, we start at usually 6.30. We go to 10.30. It happens at 7.30. The rest of the party is fine. There's 12 of them. They really don't need that other person. What is he? That basically, you're walking wounded, as Dan talks. You have the IV. So for the next three and a half hours, I'm walking around. <laughs> not a lot of fun. It's not a lot of fun. The same thing as being killed. It's not a lot of fun. So the, the reality of the game then kicks in. And I said, okay, well, if you have a high constitution, again, favoring fighters, because fighters, in my, get a raw deal in, in first edition. They... They need a lot of experience points relative to the other ones, and they don't get a lot of special bonuses. There's no reason not to be a ranger versus a fighter unless you want to be evil. It's like 250 more experience points per level. It's like a 10% penalty. You get twice as many hit points to start. You can track. You can do more damage to giant class creatures. Why You get spells right. eventually. Right. Why would you not do that? Right. So uh, I give fighters some advantages because they're fighters, and one of the advantages is... Um, if they get knocked out, if they have a high con, it reduces the amount of days that they need to rest before they mm-hmm. can uh, they can do that. Um, it's not rules as written, it's and it's a house rule, but the purpose of it is just to get people, right. you know, because if it's two days, they're like, okay, we'll sit here for two days. They're not going to be like, oh, no, we're going to clear out the dungeon and then go back mm-hmm. if it's a week. Uh, you know, we played, we're playing Village of Hamlet with John, uh, which is great because I've never went through the Village of Hamlet. I've read it years ago. And we've had, you know, two characters die and two get knocked out. So, you know, it's taken a month, you know, with, with yeah. role characters. So, you know, if you have a low magic game, you can instill that fear of death. You know, you can move towards that Call of Cthulhu everywhere. You know, you don't, the first reaction to anything is not pulling your pistol out and shooting things. It's, it's either running away or doing that. 
Uh, or you can do you can have high magic below religion, you know, you, or low uh, deity involvement. Maybe there's maybe there's just magic. There's you know uh, we talked about, um, or 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 the gods are not actively involved. They are just this kind of passive force, and um, you know there's no healing. It's just you know f- uh, evocation of you know fireballs and this type of thing. It's all like you know again gunpowder. Uh, it can only ha- hurt. It can't heal. Um, you can do that with races and all, you know, do you have races? You could create your own races. Do you really want a cosmopolitan kind of, uh, what is that, the, the Tatooine bar, most Eisley bar, where there's literally dozens of, of races and creatures and everyone kind of does their thing? Or is it just going to be, you know, a very uh, uh, kind of medieval? Uh, and then the last one, which, you know, uh, I played for Gary Guy, I stay, um, Expedition of the Barrier Peaks, where you take different genres or different cultures, right? That one was sci-fi meets fantasy. And what does the players do? Uh, I thought that was, a fu- that was a lot of fun for a one-off or maybe a small campaign where, you know, you've got this traditional mindset and all of a sudden you get a ray gun. What would you, right. what would you do with that? Or you set D&D, you take fantasy people, you know, Oriental Adventures is one example, or you put them in ancient Rome or Stone Ages or something where... Um, you know, you have to be careful. You don't end up with the twelfth level fighters fighting, you know, the conquistadors attacking the Native Americans, the Native Indians, um, no, Native Americans. The the challenge of that. But there's a lot of ways, and the whole point of that is you can affect the religion. You can change the dial. You can change the dial on magic. You can change it on the races. You can change the dial on genres. You can change the dial on, like you said, whether it's epic or a series of individual ones. You can change the fantasy overall. Is it really fantastical creatures or very traditional? And all those should adjust those three pillars of the game and uh, doing it. So uh, I think, you know, Dan, when I kind of explaining that, you know, your, your thing of what do you think is the most effective or, you know, you said you have to talk to the players, but from your perspective... Um, you, you ran through your campaign. What would you change based on what would make you more interested? Because I think if the DM is interested, the players will get interested. There's a, there's a certain point you can't go beyond. Like if you just want to have everyone dress up and, and pantomime, they're not going to do that. But if you're passionate about the campaign, the players will be passionate. So looking back, what would be the things that you may tweak in your campaign that would that would improve? Make you more interested and, and potentially uh, make the game more interesting. Perspective. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question because you know I'm still sort of having taken you know almost three decades off and now I've only been playing again for two years. I really sort of what I wanted to do is sample different things, mm-hmm. and so um, I don't know that I've really you know, settled in in what I think is, would be optimal from my side. I mean, I, I obviously like the, I like the adventures anyway, that where I get to do a lot of interacting. So I enjoy as a DM being able to role play the NPCs. So I like to run adventures where I get that opportunity, which is of course why I like an adventure I like the Halls of Tyson Thane, because I get that opportunity. Uh, so... I think what I would do is I would probably pick more of those styles of adventures. You know, I don't know that I, I don't, for, my, for me as a DM, I don't know that I care so much as to whether it's low fantasy, high fantasy, okay. 
it, it really doesn't bother me. I mean, I, I think it's all very entertaining. I, you know, I, I, think, I think it's what you make of it. So I don't think it matters so much whether it's the city-state of the invincible overlord. So we spent 45 minutes talking about something that doesn't matter. Exactly. Okay. Totally thank wild. you. Thank you for coming well, to but you're, <laughs> Let's see if they called. Oh, that's right. They haven't called. Well, well, yeah. The last guy literally just turned to, he turned to the camera. Right. Okay. The, the, big reveal, the big reveal is it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. But, but yeah, but you, yeah but, but you asked for my side, of, for, for me, for, for Dan. So I think for a lot of players... If you as a DM come in here and say, look, there's not going to be a lot of magic items. You know, elves are going to be unusual. You may see an elf one day. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of dwarves. Oh, and by the way, I want you all to be human. I may consider the possibility of you being a half-elf, but you really should all be human. And I'm not going to give out a lot of magic. The problem you run with that is that you better be running a really good campaign. The adventures better be really good because what I think, I suspect, what's going to happen is players are going to start getting unhappy. They may nod and say, sounds great at the right. beginning. But let's face it, when you're on the player's side, you like cool magic items. Sure. It makes the game fun, right? You have interesting items. And I don't mean just simply... Quantity. Right. And I don't also just mean like the plus four sword. You know, different interesting magic items, you know, the rope of climbing that you can, you know, do things with. It makes it a lot of fun. And so, you know, it does get, I would expect it gets kind of old being on the player side and never seeing any magic items, especially when you're used to seeing magic items right. when you play. Um, everyone's a human. So no one's got, you know, a lot of the fun of the game too, isn't it, is that the dwarf says, oh, wait a second. I remember that I have an increased chance to detect sloping passage or whatever, right, or falling. Or someone reminds them, and they're not even in the room, which, again, we, we had that couple of scenarios of people telling the other players what to do. I'm like, you're not even there. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, well, you know, look, so much of it comes back to, you know, of, of how you want to approach the game. And I, and I agree say, with all that, so keep going. You know, you know and, and we're two, we're two players that we're more consistently on the DM side than we are on the player side, but when... You know, when you're on the player side, you always remember then it reminds you how hard it is right. to be a good player. Um, and so there is this awful temptation, I think, to do whatever you can to try to succeed because it's tough being on the player side. Uh, you know, look, the metagaming is, is the same thing, too. The metagaming is just one aspect of this larger issue, which is what do you want to get out of your gaming session? You know, for some players, they want to succeed. They're competitive. They want to win at D and D, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. I mean, that's great. You know, for others, as long as as the DM, you don't take it personally that it's a, a mental challenge that you know you're trying to compete with them. I, I don't look at it that way. I look at it as I'm here to throw scenarios, and I hope they overcome it. But I also have no idea sometimes how they're to overcome it. You know, I put three frost giants and. It was 10 Frost Giants, 3 Fire Giants, this and that, next, and Mulgur Magi, who was charming persons. If it went south, they could have been all killed. I don't know how it's going to be. I have to let them figure it out, and they figured it out, and good for them. I'm a, I'm a strong proponent of, of, of the fact that the, I think the DM should always, always be rooting for the players. Right. 
that doesn't mean that the DM should not make a change. You know, to me, it reminds, you know, look, we're, we're grognards now. Many of us, you know, we have kids. It reminds me of something where you would want to challenge your kids. Right. You, like, so your kids, exactly. so, right? That's a great analogy. Right? So, so, so your kids went to Our college. Our players are not children, by the way, even though we did talk about previous right. times. But it's the same. So, so you're, you know, you've got kids. I have a daughter. Your kids, some of them have been through college. One will be going to college soon. or sort of already in college yeah. well, in high school. Well, we'll see how his grades are. Maybe or taking college classes. Right. But, but so, you know, my daughter's in college. I wouldn't, you would want your kids to be challenged. Right. And, but you'd want them to succeed while being challenged. And that's the way I view it as. as yeah, I don't want them to be challenged, you know, go to, and then fail and have a permanent thing where they, you know, college is a terrible reminder of their inadequacies. Which is like the character die. Right, exactly. You want them to be challenged and rise to the occasion and succeed. But it is a, it is a possibility, and I cannot prevent that from happening. I cannot. Unless I'm going to pay, you know, five hundred thousand dollars to get in a certain school, I cannot prevent my sons from failing. I can encourage them. I can provide scenarios. I can get them ready. But ultimately, they have to decide. And I think that's a that's why that analogy is great. Your, you know, your child, she's going to do well. You can give her all the conditions. You can, you know, sh and she can do the creativity. But she has to accept that there is that possibility. Should not be ninety five percent chance of death, or in this case failing out, but there has to be that possibility, or else it's not earned, and it's basically, you know, story then. You've, you've created her story, and go, here's her story. So that's a great analogy, right. Dan. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think, and, and like the, the metagaming thing, you have, basically have to decide what kind of game you want. So the players that, it's, and it's very hard not to metagame. I mean, when you're on the DM side, well, it a, bothers you, but when you're on the player side, it's so tempting and i don't have again at some meta gaming i have no problems because that's the sign of an experienced player it would be the same thing of the 10 foot pole if you know that the 10 foot pole is needed because you're supposed to tap in front of you why would you not use that knowledge how are you to gain that knowledge so if you know that a skeleton can only be hit by blunt weapons great and uh, you know it's going to be half damage and the dm can help with that the metagaming becomes a problem in two ways. One, they've been through the module or they know something um, that is the specific instance of this. This is where, you know, again, the challenge of playing older modules and you don't change them too much because they're like, oh yeah, we stop here and we, uh, you know, and then they try to do their best to pretend like they don't right. know. And right. that's the one. The other one is when they challenge you on the ruling that you made. I have no problem that you know that white's level drain. Uh, and you be don't like that idea in first level, which by the way, there's one in B2, the white, and Medusa, first level. Written by Gary Gygax. Gary Gygax, that's right. So I have no problem that they, if they see a white that they know well, that's really bad. What I have a problem with is if they immediately say that creature level drains, at least try to make your character go, I've heard that these, they will suck the souls out of yeah. them. Put it, put it, put some spin around it, take a little effort. And if my white, or this is a special white that I've changed, not only level drains you, but charms you. And they go, wait a minute, they can't do that. No, 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 no. There's no they can't. My white has the ability to charm. That's that's the two issues I have. And the, the biggest issue is that creature can't do that. That is not the purview of the player. I want them to have knowledge, and I will try to honor the knowledge, but when things change, 
as long as I've given some indication that it could change, like this is a special burial mound, yeah, the generic white should be a generic white. There should be some knowledge that transfers because that's the, you know, that's how you get advantage of things. But if my white, if I had some secret thing or that he's named Bob the white, he's not just generic white number 27, I have the right to make it a change anyway if I've allowed that information. So uh, I don't have a problem with metagaming uh, per se. It, the, the two big ones are that white can't do that or, you know, I, I went online. I mean, I had... We were playing online at one point. We were—I was running through one of the modules, and all of a sudden, I, one of my characters, one of the players, stopped doing something. And, and like, what? And you know, he's on—he's online. He's googling the the module. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, that's not good. Because you know, I'm like, what are you doing? You, you know, you know, you get that pause when like you're doing a job interview with someone, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, what's you know, what does this mean? And they kind of pause, and you hear, yeah, <laughs> they're looking it up. <laughs> they're looking it up. So well, I'm sorry, but go ahead with the well, medic. Yeah, and one of the things, I, I, you know, so, you know, which I think shows what kind of game does everyone really want to have is that, you know, if players are also telling players what to do when they're not right. in the room, let's say. Yeah. So now. The and they th- retracted it, but that, that was something that did happen. Well, and right. And again, you know, when you're on the player side, it's very, it's like you're watching a horror movie happen and you want to yell out, he's behind you, what's behind you? Exactly. Don't he's, go to the graveyard, what, he's there. Lock the door. Lock the door, you didn't Stop. lock the door. That's right, you're gonna, no, you left it. like, what was that movie, Student Bodies? Do you remember that No, movie? I don't. Uh, so there's a second suggestion. It's an old campy movie from the 80s. It was like, it was a pre- precursor to scary movie, like they made fun of them. Mm-hmm. So Student Bodies was a horror movie and... Uh, you know, you watch and it's the traditional scary uh, setup for a horror movie where the killer comes in, and the teenage girl, I think it is, she uh, closes the door but doesn't lock it, and then this arrow points out, eh, 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 arrow door not locked or something. You know, all these things that pointed out that she did wrong. Right. So it's a big parrot. Again, I won't reckon it's not Oscar worthy, but if you want something from again, if you're nostalgic and you want to do that, but yeah, the, right. That's a that's also a good point. The whole thing of it's hard not to watch a car crash and say, hey, it's you know, these two cars coming, not to scream, look out. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's the tension. I think this is something that I don't know that D&D ever resolved, which is on the one hand, what makes it amazing is this idea that you're playing this character. It's so free-flowing. If your character dies, then your character dies. That's it. It's time to roll up a new character. Versus then this idea that you also then, as a result of that, so much want to protect your character and make sure things go well. You are tempted then to start, you know, throwing out rules to help you. You are tempted to metagame to help you. You are tempted to, you know, help other players, even if you're not there, because you see they haven't locked the door and the white is coming behind them. And there's, I think there's that tension. And it's very hard, you know, on the player side, you know, I guess if you really want to be a really good player, not in the sense of good, meaning I want to win, but good in the sense that I want to try to recreate what it would actually be like to be an adventure in this mm-hmm. dungeon facing these things, you have to be really disciplined, I think. Right. You, ha- you have to like, okay, I'm going to try to metagame as little as possible. 
And when I, if I do metagame, you know, because some things, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you tell the jury something, you know, and then the judge says, well, ignore that. Well, the jury can't ignore it. It's kind of like when you throw a skunk into the whatever, you know, you can't, you know, tell them not to smell it. You know, you, um, you got, you know, you should try then to, if you can't ignore it, because you know whites have level trait, you can't unlearn that, right. forget it. Try to play it in a way like you were talking about, like, okay, um, you know, well, I've, I've heard that these whites are this and that. Um, and really try to not, to, to, you know, not help out other players. Because, look, it's awfully tempting. Yeah. D&D, let's face it, D&D faces, uh, uh, D&D is played by people who tend to be pretty smart people, I think, right? Right. They're pretty smart. I mean, look at us. I, I mean, clearly, right? And so there's this. Who would spend their Saturday mornings to film a thing and, and not spend time with their families and but do this? We're very smart. Smart people. This is, we're smart. This is smart. This is the smart thing to do. This is The smart thing smart. to do is when you're middle-aged is to start playing D&D and spend right. all your time doing that right. and ignore your spouse. Right. Ignoring your spouse, not building a legacy, helping your children, you know, get Help them in any way possible. No, it's, sorry, you can't go to college. Yeah. I needed to get this right. rare adventure. That's right. That's, <laughs> so, that's, you know. that's what's smart. That when I think smart, that's spend us. your retirement savings on eBay on old D and D stuff. Right. I just bought the hand signed Gary Gygax. I, I traded. I in needed stocks. it. I so needed it. That was such a good price. Yeah, it was only a thousand dollars. And there's only one left. That's right. And I have it now. And I've got it now. What do I do? I don't know. Right. So don't touch it. Don't, don't touch it. it. Don't look at it. I, I was surprised you left me alone in this room. Actually, did you know that? Oh well, there, there, there's a search later. Okay, I mean, probably a middle video. Well, it's my security camera. I had camera. the camera on the whole yeah, time. So that's there's right. There's a camera here, there's a camera here. That would have been awkward. I didn't realize you're already streaming and you catch me stealing <laughs> or pocketing some of your... You're, well, for those who, who only watch, listen to the podcast, Dan's a very svelte person. You know, if there's that's a book, there's a, is that a, is that a, is that a, is that a module in your pocket or are you just happy, that's right. happy yeah, to yeah. see yeah. us? Yeah. yeah, I'm not really, you're right. right. And it's hard for me to hide some of this And you stuff. honor the game so much, I don't see you stuff modules down your yeah. shirt because they would be damaged and you wouldn't want that either. So. That's, yeah, that's true. That's true. More likely you try to call all the people who, the books, and I, and I have not called Blaine. I apologize. I did nothing with Blaine. And oh, yeah. Books. See, that's what I care more about. I, I'm going to call Blaine. Anyway, um, go ahead. But, so you, I think if you wanted to recreate that, you know, it's, so say it's, it's, it's smart players, right? Okay. Smart people. And you want to show, look, I, this happens to me too. You want to, you want to, you know the rule. Right. I know, you know, I watch out. I know that this might happen to you, and I want to display that knowledge. And so it's very tempting to do that when you're not around. Um, and but, the DM needs to honor that. I have no problems, again, challenging the rule the first time, which is, again, situations happen. But then you better be paying attention because mm-hmm. a lot of people, they kind of zone out when it's not their turn. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we had situations where people go, oh, you know, uh, what's your armor class? It's zero. And I know that prayer is on, so they get, the enemy gets minus one to their attacks. Um, and it's okay, you know, if, I, if I'm rolling dice to go, did you remember prayer? Um, but if you keep asking it, and I've already, and I say, okay, your effective armor class is minus one, just to make the, the figuring out easy. And then someone, as I'm rolling the dice, goes, did you remember it's his, ar- I re- we already just said that. Right. He's waiting till after that, or you know, you have protection for evil, all these things. I have no problem asking once, um, because you want the best uh, chance. And, if, and certainly if it's close. Where it's an issue is when you go past, hey, do you know that um, 
you know, skeletons, again, they only take half damage from uh, piercing or striking weapons, non-blunt non weapons. Uh, or, or they go, why, why didn't I do as much damage as I should have? You know, because, uh, you know, I say something like they're not effective. What, why is that? Well, because they, uh, they, they, no, that's not the rule. Go look it up. No. I made the ruling. That's, that's when, it be, when there's the challenge of it. Now, if I make a mistake, you have to be honest enough and go back later and go, yeah, I made a mistake and do that. It's, it's that trust, and I think that's hard when you have a pickup game versus not. So um, kind of wrapping up a little bit, I think for your game, or, and even for mine, one of the things I don't like huge, uh, the, the problem is the game, in order to make it harder a lot of times, you have to have a lot of creatures, to, especially low level. Um, I would suggest that we should put bigger monsters in there, which again could kill the characters. But you know, if you don't like combat, you don't think it's really something you want to de-emphasize. Let's say because again, six put instead of having like keep of the Borderlands, where you have twelve goblins, and let's say they don't have a sleep spell, you got nine player characters versus twelve goblins. That could take an hour. And if you want to keep combat under, let's say you've had in your mind that combat should never take more than fifteen minutes, unless it's an epic battle at the end. Well, instead of having 12 uh, goblins, have two bugbears or one bugbear. And, you know, then it's three rounds. One of the characters may get hurt, but it's unlikely there's going to be a total, uh, total party kill. Um, and it's also going to end relatively quickly. Or if you put a troll in there, then they have a choice of, am I going to fight this troll or am I going to run? You know, so have less monsters, which means there's less dice rolling. Um, that's something that I need to keep. Uh, I don't mind a lot of combat because... It eats up a lot of time, and so you know I let it, it, and also gives people opportunities to to do things. But that would be some of the suggestion if you have more colorful creatures by making them more powerful, so that there is some interaction that the players don't immediately run in and attack them because that may not be the best uh, solution. Well, and that that would be again. I know it's somewhat strange to use the word realistic in this, but. You know, this idea that there are different adventures of different levels is somewhat right, ridiculous. Right, because you would just encounter what you would encounter, it seems to me, and you've got to avoid. And, and that's what happens when we play. I mean, if it's, it, you, you may know of these things, but, uh, you know, it's not like Bush Gardens where you have the kitty area or right. whatever. <laughs> like, oh, we're in the, we're in the pre, pre, you know, there, there would never be a, you know, a scary, um, what is that, Halloween Horror Nights right, right. In, the, in the kiddie pool area. Right, but right. That's, there should always be that element of that. But I think that's where I get frustrated sometimes, too, of the big epic battles. Because, you know, if there's two, there's two goblins left, there's nine player characters, you really need to keep rolling at that point. Right. They, they, you know, unless they do something, I usually say, well, after, you know, a couple more minutes, you've defeated them. So we don't waste five more minutes in adjudicating what's, what's likely going to happen. They're, the party may lose another couple of hit points. And, and I think that's, people get frustrated. And it's so interesting. The last thing I would say is the style of game. Do you want a lot of accounting or not? We, that's what we've been talking about in first edition. There's a whole lot of accounting, point collection, and when we were younger, I didn't mind it at all. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, that's 12 experience points, and we did a whole lot of math. But you were doing that instead of your math homework. Apparently, yeah. Or, um, you know, figuring out all these percentages and really trying to keep it as accurate as it could be. Now, I mean, we finished. We ended a little bit early because they wanted to know what experience points well, it is. And, I, and I, I'm like, that's going to take me in. Sometime this weekend, i got to sit through the module Count up all the creatures. And it's going to take an hour and a half. Well, is it? Does it go back to your speed limit comment? Yeah. 
So I think there's two reasons for that, I guess. So so when you're younger, number one, you can move at a, a lower speed limit because yep. you're not even thinking about death, except for your characters, mm -hmm. right? So you got lots of time. Time's not an issue. Yeah, I mean, imagine how long so junior high or whatever, like three years, something like that. Right. That seemed like forever. High right. school three forever. Yeah. Three years now. Nothing. And nothing. It'll be like three three years from now. It'll be like two weeks for us, right? We've been playing for two years. It does not feel like it's been two years. It doesn't feel like another right. So though some may argue it feels like ten. right. Exactly. So <laughs> so like this podcast goes on forever. So um, they, um, I think, when you're younger like that, you have you feel like you have more time, yeah. and so you're 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 less impatient. And I think also I wonder if back in the day when you're young, when you're 13, 14, 15 years old, you know, Gygax, you know, is like a king, you know, and, and so this is the way we're told to do experience. We got to do experience points. This is what we do. I think as you get older, you're a little bit more like, I mean, because if you think about it, back in the day, people didn't follow rules as much, but let's ask why. So did we not follow rules and have a lot of households back in the day because we wanted to change things? Or was it because we hadn't read the whole thing right. and, or, or you know, only one person had the DMG? It, was it a conscious decision no. back in the day to not it, follow the rules? It wasn't to design. I, I don't remember any of the rules to primarily be. It was two things. Cool factor was one, and the other one was the, the we couldn't figure out how we didn't know the rule, or we couldn't figure out the rule. Right. It was so complicated or contradictory, um, you know. So double damage that was just a cool thing. It just was like, oh, well, there's got to be double damage. There's got to be a strike that's ridiculous, you know. As yeah, I don't think to, I remember, you know, back in the day, knowing that Gygax had said he said somewhere, didn't he? I can't remember yeah, it's in one I'm of the core sure. books, but he says. You know, there, there shouldn't be critical hits and fumbles because right. then you'd have to give them to the monsters right. and the players don't want, wouldn't want yeah, that. We, we never processed the math behind the design of it. It was just, oh, yeah, that's cool. Well, yeah. We want to do that. And it seems, again, you watch, what do you base it on? You base it on the movies that you watch and there's normal fighting and all of a sudden something happens and it's a, you know, a critical hit yeah. or a critical fumble. Well, there's no rule for it. People drop their weapons all the time in these movies. Why can't? Why can't we do that? We didn't understand as players that typically the, the monsters roll more dice. The more dice you roll, the more likely you'll get a critical. The more likely a critical will happen, that's bad for you. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. So I, I, I think, and I mean, I, I have no idea. I mean, it's, it's been so long and, and I can't speak for everybody else. But I wonder if back in the day, it was the main goal really was just you wanted to have fun. Right, you, you wanted to have a good time, and you didn't get so obsessed with the rules. I think you wanted to follow the rules, like experience points. If that's what the rules are, well, we need to follow those rules, yeah. and we'll follow the experience points. Um, whereas now, I wonder if as we get older, you know, we are less going to bow to all of the official. Just because you say, well, I mean, I think back in the day, I don't. I hope what I'm saying is not inconsistent. Which, on the one hand, the primary goal was to have fun. Right. So if double damage sounds great, that's fun. But at the, in the same vein, if something was, to, you were told, well, it's an official rule, I think we probably, my, I think back in the day, we would have honored it. Like, I remember, I got to tell you, it never crossed my mind back in the day to not use level limits. You know, learning now that so many groups before, I guess, Unearthed Arcana would opt right. all the limits, dispensed with level limits, 
Uh, we, I don't we know. We always use a level limit. As far as I know, I recall, we use, in fact, one of my characters, if I recall, was like a 15th level assassin. And I'm not sure how many levels we actually played through. We played, I, he played through a number. Fourth level cleric. He was a half orc yeah. cleric. Fifth level assassin, fourth level yeah. cleric. Yeah, yeah. Just that's the way it was. That's the way. Well, that's the way it should be. Because you know, because you know, I think if there was a rule that said no double damage, we probably would honor it. But the uh, thing was, if there wasn't uh, a, a restriction on it, we just said, oh, that would be cool. To well, do. and when dragon, so dragon, when a dragon, we didn't subscribe to dragon. We got a couple of them. It was right. I don't, I, I don't know if it was a cultural thing in our area, but we didn't subscribe to things. We went to the store. to whether, That's what we did, too. And we would buy it or we'd look through we it. We couldn't afford a subscription. I think yeah. we had to scrounge up the money. Right. Somebody had to scrounge up the money to buy the so edition. we would buy it when we had extra spare change. You know, So right. some of these ones I have, is they were not because I had a subscription. It would have been smarter to get a subscription. But yeah, so we didn't have a constant feed of information to change the game or, or cl clarify it. These were the books. That's what we had. Well, and or the modules. The modules would have something in there, and they would do, oh, that we could do that. Well, what's interesting about it, think of something like Dragon Magazine. Dragon Magazine was sending the message, it seemed to me, that house rules were okay. Right. When, when you were filling gaps. So maybe not to change things, right? So it, it would have been startling to see an article saying... You shouldn't have armor class anymore. Armor class yeah. or level limits, because that'd be what are you talking about? Half orcs, they can only go. You didn't question half orcs can only go up to fourth level right. as a cleric. That's what are you talking about? That's exactly. the way it is. Exactly. But for gap filling, filling in gaps in the rules, yeah, I think you're right. If there had been a rule that said there is no critical hits, if we had seen that, and I know now some, you know, you can probably find that, right? right? Which people now are very good at doing that. We probably would have honored that. But in terms of house rules, there was a lot of gap filling. I mean, changing would have been weird. If you said something like, okay, I'm going to change you know, the death rule, that would have been strange to us. But then when it came to filling in gaps, either supplementing the rules or filling in gaps, it was, hey, if it's fun, let's do it. And it was no problem. Yeah. Um, I think that you know, now, I think that, you know, I, I don't know, I think, you know, with everyone having the books and being able to look up the rules and find answers, you know, you know, the big debate starts. And, and, and what happens is debates start over how to interpret the rules, like there's an answer. Um, and I think that sort of can, uh, can bog things down. Um, I think we were at the perfect age because we were two young, older people at the time had resources, and especially if they were in the geek culture, you know, the internet was nascent, but some people did have message boards in the late 80s, and so they had opportunity, or they went to conventions. We were basically isolated, so you, you created your permutation of the game. And, you know, like the death rule you mentioned, I don't remember seeing the negative three. I probably read that rule even then a couple of times. I just read, oh yeah, you can go to negative 10. I think that's what we did too. Yeah, we go to negative 10. 10. So even if you got hit and it was negative seven from one hit, you have three rounds to save it. Right, right. Uh, not reading the thing of, oh, no, at negative, at zero, technically, or negative three, if you want to be lenient, uh, you can, and then you can bleed out. If, but if you got hit to negative seven, you're supposed to be dead. Well, we didn't read that, but we started playing again. So, right. Uh, doing that. So I think there's a lot of rules that we read in our 12, 13, 14, whatever age brain. We didn't validate it with anyone. The one person was kind of Moses told to the rest of the people who played, and everyone, okay, cool. You know, you're the whoever ran into that rule was the first, that's how we ruled it, and that's how it became the house rule for us. 
and we didn't play with a whole lot of other people. So it wasn't like you went to a convention or you had other players come in. And if they played, they were new. They weren't experienced players. Um, the, I went to one convention, and we generally played right. And if there was rules that were different, I just assumed, well, that's the way these people played. I didn't sit there and go, oh, I wonder if we were playing wrong. We just kind of accepted. Do you know what I mean by that? I, I, I do know. Uh, and I'd be interested. Could you describe to me what you would view as a great game? You're not the DM. You're a player. Yes. What would you, what would you be looking for that at the end of, say, four or five hours, you get up from the table and you say, that was, an, that was a great game. What's, what's happened? I, I assume... The elements, oh, that's a great... Uh, I assume what's I not happened is a lot of cracking open of books. And, right. right? So, so what, is, what has happened in those four, five, six hours? Well, you know, I, I think one of the best games of recently, I can't speak, because I'm always concerned about going back, because you have the rose-colored glasses of, course. of, of the, you know, the <laughs> epic thing. But one of the better games we had was last year's tournament, which is coming up next month, which, by the way, we need to do some work on that, right. um, where we had uh, we, we ran the Twofold Talisman, mm -hmm. which from Dragon Magazine, I forgot, 84, 85, or something like that. You can look it up. The two-part uh, uh, event. And, what was, and I was the DM, but what was really, um, we had players who knew their roles, they balanced between playing the game, which was, okay, we have a goal. We know in tournament we have to get to the end. When there's an end, we can't. We have to, but yet they try to play their players. The game moved quickly. It was, can I attack? Yes or no. They didn't sit here and crack open books. Um, there was a lot of preparation on the DM side, so it wasn't this kind of, oh, I'm just showing up and running uh, you know, Friday night game or Saturday night game. And it just flowed really well because they were experienced players. They knew um, what they want. And the players who weren't as experienced, they deferred and they learned how to play. And it was they were role-playing while they were playing the game. And I think that is either we get a lot of playing the game, very tactical, or we get a lot of role-playing and people get antsy. They had a goal. They moved forward and they used the opportunity. And it was just great. They're like, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And it wasn't like it gave a lot of clues. They just knew for this type of thing, we have to move forward because we only have four hours of time. And that, you know, what does they say about creativity? It's those constraints. If you have unlimited time and limited, it kind of goes all over the place. I think having that three or four hours, and you know, at GaryCon, I'm sure you know, you've been to what, three GaryCons now? Yes. Um, I'm sure you've played multiple sessions. You know, I think that's probably, like me, you'd think those are the sessions where people played their characters but they understood the mission. You had a DM who's engaged, and they took advantage of the situations that they had, both from a role-playing perspective and a combat. And combat wasn't, you know, a forty-five minute. I don't, you know, we didn't have these huge battles. There was maybe, you know, one, one or two monsters, uh, and it lasted ten or fifteen minutes. So, um, to me, that and 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 everyone, wow, that was a really fun uh, adventure. Not only as a DM, but I assume as a player. Uh, when we play with Vic, even though, um, you know, the, the downside, I think, with Vic's game, not that he didn't run a game uh, well, is that we had a lot of players, and we kind of played the way we normally play. We didn't change our style to that type of thing, which is, this is a one-shot. You need to try to accomplish things. We still were kind of dilly-dallying and figuring it out. So it's all, you're always chasing that lightning in the bottle, that 5% time when you have a great encounter. What's your thoughts on that? 
No, they're they're very similar, uh, and you know that I now have uh, drifted toward uh, you know the desire to run one-offs because I think one-offs do that. So if you're going to have a one-off, typically it's going to be very convention-like. Of course, the DM is going to have an adventure which is is typically short. It has a clear objective. I'm just repeating a lot of what you just said. The players are going to know that they have limited time, so they're going to be very focused. There's not going to be a lot of cutting up. Look, not that cutting up is, 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 is all bad. I mean, you want things to be loose. But in the same vein as you're not just hanging out at a bar, right? You, you're there to do something, and, and you want to play the game, and you want to accomplish the mission. And so players are very focused. They tend to work together, uh, you know, because they all want to accomplish the mission. They're not just trying to gather experience points for themselves. Right. Uh, and the nice thing about it, too, is they're not terribly frightened about being killed. They don't want to be killed because they don't want to be done two hours into a six-hour right. session. But they're also not going to be devastated. So Yeah, that's the power of the pre-gen. You know, they, they, they're, they, that's, they're not as invested in the character. Um, and, and it forces them to play something that they may not. You yeah. Know, uh, I, I, you, seems like this, the, our players, they play the same character. They may be called something different. They may have a little different class, but they basically play the same person yeah. every time. Yeah, yeah. They always play this person. They play that person. You know, the power gamer is is playing certain kind of characters not because they're interested in exploring that. That's just the most powerful character for the situation. They will. You change the situation. They're going to play this because they're the most powerful character. Right. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. No. So so I I agree with with your description of it. I mean. I, I think the, you know, so on, on the player side of the table, I am I'm looking for a game that is, is pretty fast moving. Right. Uh, it doesn't bog down. A yep. DM who knows when to move things along. I am looking for a DM who, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of fewer players, as you know. I think games, when, you're, when, when you are at more than six players, it's getting to be too many players. Yeah. I, if, if we weren't the, you know, welcome sanctuary city of first edition, <laughs> we, would, we would not have, I would not have 12. I, but I can't kick people out. No, no. I, and, you know, I'm going to let this campaign run its course. And when I restart it, it would be, you know, there would be six, six, six or seven. Well, and they obviously like it because they keep coming back. And so at the end of but the I'm day... The only, well, I was the only game in town, so that's, you know... The, but uh, hopefully at some point others will have John starting. But go ahead. I, I just think, so, you know, I went through a game at GaryCon. It was kids on, on bikes. It wasn't D&D, but there was just, there was five of us. You know, what's great about, you know, all five of us really enjoyed role-playing and I think that's probably why we picked the game. Because we knew, you know, kids on bike is probably not going to be like heavy on the combat. Yeah. <laughs> You're playing like a 10-year-old yeah. with a bike and a flashlight. Yeah. There's not going to be a lot of combat. And what was great about it is we all got to participate and we all actively participated. It was no one dominated. We all participated. And I think when you have fewer players, you can do that. So for right. me, the ideal game is it's 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 maybe four or five players. Everyone is going to be able to participate, and the DM is keeping things moving along. And what I think is interesting, too, is, I mean, I, I think the great thing about D&D is, is the 
crazy situations that you get yourself into. Yes. Right. So I remember we had a game with a wonderful DM, uh, Carlos Lysing, where you know we we killed these guards. And of course, things don't get well. And there's a bunch of bodies, and the alarm is sounding. And Vic Dorso does this extremely well, also. You know, the old the alarm is sounding, and you know what are you going to do, and and how do you get out of it? And I I think that sense of drama, that sense of urgency. Um, you know, I, I don't like DMs who allow parties to spend a lot of time thinking about what they're going to do when they're in a room with six goblins, yeah. you know, and it's like, okay, declare your action and 10 minutes of discussion breaks out about, well, you basically a football play. Well, you go around the right, left we'll and that, I'm going to yeah. go to the right. Yeah. That's right, goblins. You have the ball. We're gonna, right, right. We're gonna exactly. Right. Defense. You gotta, right. We got to break put, in the action. Put, 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 put the shotgun. In fact, I, I, I had to remind myself of that thing because we talked about it. Um, there was a newer player, and I didn't want to penalize that newer player because they're still trying to figure the game out. Yeah, you can't you can't do that because you'll send them away; they'll be unhappy. So, I and I was gonna you know because they're giving her giving that person advice, and so I just said, okay, let them continue because you don't have to declare action order. I'm like, well, I'll just I, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and gave that person some more time. Because their play has gotten better as they've learned the thing. So you don't want to penalize people because, again, you're back to is your son or daughter going off to school? You want them to do well. But there's also a thing of finals. you got to take a test. You can't get an extension too many times. So, But I, I did remember that just from exactly what you were talking about because it's not a war game that you have three hours to strategize. I think, you know, we've talked about rolling dice, just kind of picking up the dice and rolling it just to, and John does that, which is great. It's great to see him when we're jibber-jabbering in his game. He's picking up dice and throwing. I'm like, oh, that's great. Good for him. Uh, uh, so we can kind of move move things forward. So go ahead. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, no, and just to, um, and maybe then to get back to, uh, you know, because we'd started with the different types of, of styles of play. Yeah. And I said, well, I you know, for me personally, it doesn't matter so much what the players want to play, but I think it matters a lot for the players, perhaps. So I think, I think if you're a DM and you're thinking of running a a low fantasy, a low magic campaign, maybe just really human centric, I think you need to be careful with that because yeah. I think that a lot of players are might not take to that. It might go well at first, but they may get tired of it. Um, they better be wanting to have. You better have a good story. You have a good arc, and they want to fulfill. The experiences of their characters more interesting to them than the power and magic that they accumulate. Exactly. And it's rare that you're going to find because, and again, then it's like, well, why are you playing AD and D? You could, you know, should you be playing some game that really focuses on that, that kind of style of play? Um, and and there's that's it can be done. The question is, I came for you know when you go to McDonald's, you expect a Big Mac. That's right. You're not looking for a tofu chicken sandwich or something, you know, with a portobello mushroom. That's right, because it really is. At that, at that point in time, you're really getting away from the spirit of, I think, what D&D originally was meant to be. And if you go, you can go Gonzo, a city-state. You know, you got the troll, you know, who operates the bar and the goblins in the city. And you can do that, but you got to be careful because then, you know, understandably, that's the flavor of the campaign, and the players are going to, they're going to pick up on that flavor, right. and you got to be, you got to make sure that you're okay with that as a DM, because that is actually changing things, too, because what's going to happen then is things that are mentioned in the Monster Manual, 
you know, if you read the Monster Man, I don't think there's any way a troll is operating by anyone they're low intelligence. So is it, right. I mean, I don't know. If I just, if I read the Monster Man, I read up on troll. Right. I'm not thinking this troll is operating a bar. So right. you're now sort of, so both of those directions, the, the low you're match. Blo you're blowing the assumptions away and, and, and you have to then, that term, verisimilitude. You, you, there has to be some internal cohesion of the world. And when you change it, you have to change a lot of things around it or else people are not going to take it seriously. Exactly. So, um, you know, so that's, I think that, I don't think it's... But I think you did a good job with that on the city-state, or at least the way you interpreted it. We kind of set that aside. We didn't sit there and go, wait a minute, the, you know, he's low intelligence and he would kill everyone okay. here, you know, and how are these... You know, we just assumed, that, again, it was the most icely bar. It wasn't, uh, it was the, the canteen. It wasn't you're taking these monsters from their ecology and putting them all together and, and you know, it's like taking, it's a zoo uh, with, uh, you know, with the bars taken out, but yet the creatures haven't changed. Well, then the tiger is going to eat the, the, you know, the zebra and everything else. They're not going to sit there and pal around. Uh, so you're right. That, that's something you'd have to then figure out. Which is, so, so I think, you know, you can do, I don't think it really matters which way you go as long as your players are fine with it and that you remember that any time that you go you deviate from the norm, the default, right. that there's going to be inconsistencies, I think, with what you're going to find in the books, yep. and you need to be prepared to deal with that. Potentially, uh, yes. Right, and I think that makes it a little bit more difficult. One of the nice things about doing just the typical standard fantasy milieu is it'll you know and having it line up with the books is it lines up with the books and then you don't have to worry about inconsistencies. Yep. And and my last point to that is, um, you know, like we said, understand your players. My players generally they like combat, they like fighting, they want to power up. Um, the thing for me is that eventually, and they're somewhat interested in the story and they appreciate that I've put some effort into it, but that's not the critical thing. Uh, you know, if they had their druthers, they just want to get more powerful stuff and be as powerful as they can be to get to the end result whenever that, that is. Um, and I think if we continue, and they want to be able to tr try and explore a bunch of things. Well, I, so to me, then that says, let me not focus on giant story arcs next time. Let me have campaigns that run maybe five or ten sessions let them do whatever they want. You know, if it's in Unearth, if it's in it, as long as it's in the rules, set up kind of a city-state, but maybe not with trolls and everything, but basically a cosmopolitan city so they can do whatever they want. They can, you know, if there's they want a magic store, great. Here's a magic store. You know, all the kind of things that they expect. And so to make it interesting for you, for me as a DM, you know, we don't need 50 sessions in a three-year campaign for a straight story because they don't really care about that. They care about it only in the sense that their guy powers up. They don't care about what happens in the campaign. So uh, to make it interesting for you is you want to change things up and have these smaller stories that have some theme. And then you, you know, after five or ten sessions, you go, okay, this, the big bad is defeated. Now you move on to something else. Yeah, and let me, so to show how players are different. So as you may recall, when I was running the Pelennor campaign, and there was a couple sessions, and I had planned to do this for every session, but I decided to stop doing it. I would come with, I think, like the Pelinor Gazette. Yeah, it was awesome. Okay, well, so some, and, and, and I'd have like four stories on there. 
And there usually was hidden in there, like an Easter egg, mm -hmm. some story that was of some use or relevance. And I would hand this out. Right. And there was like one or two players would be interested and would read it. Right. I think I remember, I think for, I think, um, I want to say, who was it that, um, with, um, I think Marty, which, you right. know, pick it up and read through it, which is great. And, and, um, but a lot of players, didn't, and so I think that, and, and, and again, it's neither right nor wrong. It's just different approaches. Some players love the whole, what's going on in this world? I want to know. Give me the, give me the gazette. I want to see if there's anything interesting in here that we can do. And there's other players are like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to move. What's the adventure? I'm ready yeah. to kill something. And, and, you know, thinking back to that, because, you know, it's what, don't, don't know what you got till it's gone. I really like that setting. Um, I'm not sure the because the, were the modules that you used were part of Pelennor. No, uh, no, only um, one of them was the beacon at Enon Tour was, but the other ones were not. Yeah, and so to me that was the mismatch. I thought the world was really good. I thought um, you did a great job with that. I think my personal problem is you know I'm kind of like Frodo and you're dealing with the other halflings, not to make myself better. I don't want to interject too much and dominate. What I think the play is, and I'm always concerned because you know when I do that, then it becomes very tactical and becomes the kind of game that I want to play in. And so in yours, I kind of stepped back and almost checked out of it. In and 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 you know because and plus my character was a ranger, he could have been the natural leader, and and again all that kind of factored in. So I almost was in some ways hoping to give space to the other players to kind of do things, but instead no one stepped up to do that so then we had this weird kind of no one was in charge or no or the the person in that that position of leadership didn't rotate around that and um so i you know i don't say apologize but i wasn't as invested in the game not because i wasn't interested i thought you did a great job it was more about I don't want to sit here and teach people how to play. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I, I feel that gets into the, well, you should do this or that. If people ask me a question, I'll be happy to answer it. But I'm always leery of, oh, no, no, you got to, you, you shouldn't move there and you should use this spell and you should do that um, because then it becomes, you know, very tactical and, 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 you know, then I get frustrated when we don't do the right thing. Um, and a couple of my got, a couple of my characters died because I kind of let things kind of go as it is. I'm like, what are you doing? You can't. And I just said, you know what? I wasn't really paying attention because I wanted people to play the game. And then all of a sudden, I had to jump in, and, and my character got killed, which was okay because I deserved <laughs> that. But I love that thing. I thought that, you know, if you were to bring that uh, setting again, that was great with the city state and, um, you know, I, what I what I don't city league talking about city, Eleanor. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the city league, yeah. Uh, what I don't like about it is the same thing that every player does. And this is not because of you specifically. It's because I don't like, oh, i got to pay four silver right. pieces for that. And i got to, you know, it's 12, and I can keep track of it. I did it because it's part of the game. Right. But it's not because it's just I'm old and I don't care about it anymore. It's, it's, it, I think if we were playing weekly, we played every other week, and it was like, oh, God, we're wasting time on, you know, putting money into the bank and, Got ten percent of this and now right. this, and I got to figure it. Right. It's the it's the accounting thing. Whereas in the past, I'd be like, oh yeah, this is, this feels like oh yeah, this is right. totally great. So it was not a and and I have that struggle too. Um, but that's that's first tier play. You know, you should have some of that. There should be this constant crap. We got to go out there and get some money. So um, I thought that was great. Okay, 
Well, we've kind of rambled a little bit, a little uh, shenanigans and tomfoolery and just ra random jibber-jabber. But the point for is, when it comes to styles of play, there's, there's factors you can put in. I think the DM has to understand what their ultimate state is and realizing just like players, they never get to that. They only get a few times. Um, and if your players are so far away from it, you can move them, but you can't completely ignore that. If you are, you're not going to have players or you're going to have unhappy players. But you can move them towards that. And I think we all have to look back at our campaigns. Um, but I think you and I are kind of moving towards that, either a one-shot or a series of one-shots, do a certain thing, get to a natural conclusion, and start start over again. So we get more of the feel of people taking risks and doing things, and it's a little shorter in the payoff of the, the campaign, not having this feeling that it's just life and these people are going to want to keep going and going. So, you know, in, in my campaign, I've already thought, mm, there's probably, you know, assuming life continues, probably play through the end of the year and wrap it up. Uh, start something new and again probably have this basically okay you guys want to just do whatever you want nope not whatever you want but I want to use all the books I don't want you know I don't want to sit here and be restricted by oh you want Arthur Kane great um, but it's going to be more of a mercenary kind of thing okay great so for our uh, suggestion segment suggestion. Um, Dan, you uh, you picked your suggestion, and I'll go. So what is your suggestion for this week? Well, so uh, you recommended that for my suggestion, I take a peruse That's right. your shells here, and I came across, I noticed While you. I'm here, by the way. Huh? Well, exactly. Not not when I'm not here. Right, exactly. So, uh, That's right. right. So I, I came, <laughs> I, know, I, I found uh, a copy of Best of Dragon Volume 3, which I have. You have your original that you bought. I, That's I, my understanding. I bought it on it your... It was originally, I bought it we, from... We got to look for Tony. Yes. Well, okay. Tony was a guy we played with, so this is not. I came from our group. Oh, okay. So this would not be hard to. Uh, oh, so you know. Oh, do you know where Tony is? I do not know. Yeah. Well, you need to reconnect, don't Here you? Here we go. Yeah, because he has go. my copy of it. There you go. So um, I actually bought a copy of this off of eBay recently, and I bought it because, and I think I've mentioned this before. I love Roger Moore's point of views for each of the demi humans. So you know, here of course you have the dwarven point of view, you have the elven point of view each of the demi-human races, and I think it's just great. Now, this is not canon, so to speak. It's not official, right? Sure. I mean, the, the official descriptions of the different races, of course, would be found in the, play, in the Monster Manual and also in uh, the DMG, I think, has right a description of, of the races. Yep. But I think Roger Moore did a great job of really capturing sort of the flavor and the spirit of the different races. And so I recommend that. And the deities as well. And the deities are fantastic. I love the deities as well. More than the default one that comes in deities and demigods. Like Grumish is in, uh, is in deities and demigods, but the Earth Mother and all the other ones are in here. Yep, you get, you get more deities. You don't just get that one single deity for each race. You get a variety of deities, and so it's great to be able to pick one uh, that's more suitable for your character. And I love the points of view because it, it really reminds you that you should be playing, if you're playing a demi-human, you should be playing that demi-human, not like a human. A halfling is not a human. A halfling yeah. is a different character. A gnome is not a human. Well, and that's the issue, isn't it? The fact that the most, well, I don't say most players, the players that we've encountered, either because they're inexperienced or because they're not playing an elf because 
they want to be flitty and have this long perspective and, and you know, the things that they talk about. They want to be an elf because they get plus one to their thing. Right. They have improvision. They find secret doors they and find conceal doors, doors exactly. quite easily. Right. That's no, that's that's exactly right. Which is why, and of course, another subject is why you should have level limits. Right. You don't have level limits. Oh, they the just talked about party. it. Another podcast. They just talked about this and, and the tension of that. And yeah, level limits should happen. You don't have level limits, and it's it's elves and dwarves. Um, no one wants to be a human. Uh, but so yeah, that is my suggestion. Is the best of Dragon Volume Three, particularly because it has the points of view. Uh, which I highly recommend that if you're going to play one of those races, read up on it, try to play that character uh, the way you think uh, that race would act. Great. Uh, and hopefully they'll fail their thing. And they're uh, still not ridiculously expensive. I've seen all five of them uh, of the best of dragons, which cover the classic period of Dragon Magazine. Not to say that later is not, uh, you know, first edition up to 85, I think, is where they ended the fifth version of it. So it doesn't have what they call, you know, D&D 1.5. Um, but, you know, you can, they can be had either on PDF, you can go to, like, DriveThruRPG, or you can find a, original printings for a few dollars. It's not a ridiculous amount of money, like, unlike some of the other things. So my suggestion is funny because the podcast I was listening to is Roll for Initiative, and they were just talking about level limits this last week. And the They're always to... one step ahead of us, aren't well, they? Well, they are. Well, they've been around for a while. And, you know, I, I do like some of their content. I think a lot of what it is and some of it's uh, similar. But I would, I would suggest, you know, listening to other podcasts. You know, if you're spending time here, thank you very much. But um, that, they're, they're focused on first edition. Um, and so they have a huge backlog over 10 years of, of items. So if there's something we haven't covered yet, um, you know, they have a different perspective. And I think if you're an aspiring DM or your player who's trying to see the DM's perspective. Um, they typically have two or three DMs that have posted over the course of this, and they cover a number of the topics. Um, and they have their perspective, and I think it's, it's useful, and it's just you know, ironic that they, they went over that. So Roll for Initiative, they're on iTunes. And, um, you know, because again, I listen to podcasts when I'm you know, at, at work, or I'm doing something else, and I just have a background, or you're, you're mowing the lawn. These things are great for, for those type of things. And it's, you know, we want to support the community. And there's a couple other podcasts I'll probably suggest. They, these are the ones I listen to, and I either find them interesting from they validate uh, my understanding. I, either I don't agree with them. They validate my understanding one way or another that, yes, this is why I've done it because I don't agree with their way, or yes, I do it that way because their perspective. Or they provide some background or information that I haven't heard of before because what Dan and I, at least I can't, I shouldn't speak for Dan. I am not a dragon's foot or Facebook looker of the OSR stuff, the old school revival and all these new products. There's just too much information out there. You know, just with what's available from the old times, I have a lifetime worth of stuff. But there are some things that could be useful. It's always good to listen because they go to the conventions, they do this and that, so there's a lot of information. So I hope you fail your save. Talk, uh, listen to them. Um, you know, it, it can be hit or miss, just like, unfortunately, our stuff. I know it's shocking, but there's some, some sessions are better than others, which is, which is terrible. Um, okay, so that's this week. And, and uh, so I've announced the, uh, in fact, put on Twitter, our Paranoia, the uh, uh, 
original module, the Femme Fatale Bots Strike Back, which is coming up, and Dan has joined the game. So we're actually looking for one more player. I got five. I need one more. It would be nice. And uh, I think over the next couple of weeks, we'll probably talk about paranoia. Um, got a couple more things I want to talk about with AD&D, but then talk about paranoia and those uh, d different types of games. You know, does that uh, scratch that itch for, um, you know, I'm, I've had, you know, our main meal is D&D. Is there some of these other things that can kind of, uh, diversify our role playing and, and scratch an itch on you know more role playing or more, less serious, more serious these these types of well, things. Well, you know, it's like when you discovered Iron Maiden, you don't stop at Iron Maiden, do you? You say, oh, no. wait, there's Judas Priest is pretty good too. There, there's that's royal, and there's um, there's accept. I mean, if you want drinks, <laughs> there's German metal, right? Ludo. There's, there's that's right. There's all kinds of metal, but you know, you're still in the you know you're still accepting uh, that you know there's. Uh, you're still in the metal genre, you know. We're not we're not talking about new wave or something, which we've already said is. Uh, I liked the metal hard album. I thought metal that's right, hard. absolutely. That was that was well, it was that was the that was their one video. Uh, so I had a little black and white TV, and I remember like from eleven thirty to twelve, one of these channels, they had metal videos that well metal videos that would come out, and so you know we that. You didn't have this was pre MTV. I didn't have cable, so you know I don't know if it was once a week or every day. I don't remember that. But during that time, because they only had like twenty metal videos, that Midnight Mover, whatever that one video, it was constantly on every week. So yeah. I got the album. We're not going to take it. Oh well, oh, yeah, because it's history. Yeah. Yes, that's well. They were local. <laughs> Quiet Riot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were local. That's right. They're Long Island, right? That's right. The, did you ever? You didn't? Did you ever see them? I did. I did. Yeah. So my brother actually saw them too. Did he ever see them before they had them? Because I believe they didn't have that's the makeup. Right. Did he I, see I them? When they didn't have the I don't think. I don't think him or I saw them before that time. I, I saw. You ready? I saw them. So I, they came down. You ready for this? It was. Twisted sister, Dokken, and Y&T. Oh, Y&T. Y&T. <laughs> Dave, Dave Mc, uh, I forgot his last name, McKenney or something. He's an amazing guitarist. He's great. He's awesome. Uh, they were the band. Um, there's a few of them. They were the band that, why they didn't, Giant was another one. These bands that really were very great players, and they had good songs, but they didn't get to the top tier. They didn't make it. They right. didn't have their breakout, super breakout song. Right. Are you a, do you shout it? So if you see somebody with a t-shirt, are you the kind of guy that'll like yell out like, hey? No. So, okay, I do that. So I'm in the public, I'm in the public's parking lot and a guy's got a Saxon t-shirt. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, yes, yeah, Saxon. I was not a big Saxon fan, but right. you know, the fact still. That wearing that. Exactly, right? I'm going to start pulling on my old t-shirts so for this event because we, we're now wearing button downs and we were afraid we'd get a tuxedo. So <laughs> I think I'll, I'll, I had a Van Halen shirt on. Next time I'll, I'll see if I'll put my Judas Priest or some of the other shirt, concert t-shirts that I've acquired. Do you have any old, did you keep your old t You kept a lot of your old D&D stuff. I have one shirt from back in the day. It wasn't even mine. It was my brother's. It was from Van Halen in 1982. I still have that shirt. Oh, so you saw it, right? So, so brother you said your saw brother it. saw it. What was it. it? What was your first? Rod Stewart in 1979, my brother took me to. Because my brother oh. was six years older than me. Billy Idol was my first. What was your first metal show? That, does, that doesn't count. Uh, ooh, I think that would be Judas Priest. Oh, okay. Judas Priest. That's right. Okay, that yeah. That was years later. That's a great show, yeah. So Motley Crue and Ozzy Osbourne for me and Ampasando. Like 84, 5, something. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see too many when I was in New York. And again, I've, we missed a couple of them. But 
This is not the heavy metal grog talk thing. Not 85, no, I'd be more like 83, 84. That yeah. was, yeah, that's I, I, think, and, I uh, think it was the... Only if it was a show, the Devil Tour. And then Rush, we were big Rush fans, which of course I think is kind of the standard. We, we're checking all the boxes here of right. stereotypical... Could we be more, yeah. Caucasian, male, middle-aged, metal, rock, right. progressive rock, check, 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 right. check, check. Yeah, all that. We so. are a total stereotype at this point, aren't That's we? Right. There's no no surprises. Are we here. real? I'm not sure. We're a caricature. We're a figment of your imagination. So uh, with that, I think uh, we've we've said enough of this. So I'm James. I'm Dan. And uh, signing off, and we'll see you next week on Grog Talk. This is big, a pushy, a big production. All rights reserved.